could a garden come up from this ground at all? Uh, when I was a kid and I would see someone crying, I would also cry. It was like a visceral, empathetic response that I had no control over. The very clear memory of being pretty little, maybe eight or nine, and my dogs were running around my yard. We called it zoomies. You know when a dog kind of gets excited and they just go crazy around. We had German Shepherds, so they were big dogs to have zoomies, and they ran right under slash through my little brother, and he kind of flew up in the air and landed back, and he lost his breath for a second, as one does when you hit the ground hard, and then he started crying. And so I ran into the house to tell my mom that my brother was hurt, but by the time I got there, I was crying so hard that she didn't know what was wrong. She's like, are you okay? I was like, I don't know. I was just crying. To be clear, I was uninjured. Uh, I was not hurt at all in this moment, but I was worried, and my brother's crying made me cry. Honestly, I still don't always have control over this response. Uh, many of you who have been worshiping with us for a while know this already. I was asked to be uh, to sing at a funeral a few years ago for Lori's uh, dad, Chad's wife, uh, Lori, her dad. And I intentionally found an odd sculpture, Nate might remember this, in the back of the room that we were in that I named Melancholy Jesus because it was this weird sculpture of like a definitely white blonde Jesus. Another sermon. But... Uh, uh, looking down kind of sadly, and I was like, I'm just going to sing to Melancholy Jesus so I don't look at Lori crying in the front row and then like not be able to make it through the song. Uh, I am, yeah, I'm a crier. Katie said it too. She's also a crier. Uh, and that doesn't always go so well with a job where I'm invited to sit with people in their grief. You cry, I cry. I have joked that I'm an equal opportunity crier. Weddings, funerals, baptisms, I do it all. Uh, I joked with Nick at the earlier service that when him and Rachel were getting married this year and they were both crying, I actually barely cried, which was much better than most people expected for that moment. And I have tried hard to repress and hold this instinct of mine down. I've asked for advice on not crying, like literally ask someone how to not be a crier as if that's like a thing you can learn. Some of you have heard me tell the story of when I asked my clinical pastoral education supervisor how to cry less, and he just shook his head at me and said, someday I would appreciate my ministry of tears. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. I was very skeptical. And honestly, I still am a lot of times. Because for many of us, crying is seen as weakness, especially for women. When a man cries, it's kind of powerful, right? It's powerful to see a man show emotion and vulnerability. Maybe this is because men are taught to not show this form of emotion very often, and then it is more powerful when they do. Again, another sermon. But when women cry, it is often seen as weakness. You should suck it up. You're too emotional. There Natalia goes, crying again. She's so over-emotional. That's why I think it's important that the text we have in front of us every year on All Saints Sunday is one where Jesus cries. 
So this text is about more than Jesus crying, and we will get to that. But Jesus weeps. John says he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Now notice in the text how Martha and Mary crying at the loss of their brother is expected. But when Jesus cries, it is a moment. See how Jesus loved him, the people say. As if it was only a a relationship with Lazarus that would make those tears make sense. But what if that wasn't why Jesus cried? What if Jesus cried because he walked into the middle of the grief of Mary and Martha and he felt it? What if Jesus cried because he joined with them in their grief? Not his, but theirs. I find this to make a lot of sense based on what we know about Jesus. Not that Jesus couldn't have his own grief, he definitely did, but by crying with them, he teaches everyone then and now something powerful and important about grief. Author and writer Debbie Thomas said of this this week, when Jesus weeps, he legitimizes human grief. His brokenness in the face of Mary's sorrow negates all forms of Christian triumphalism that leave no room for lament. Yes, resurrection is around the corner, but in this story, the promise of joy doesn't cancel out the essential work of grief. When Jesus cries, he assures Mary not only that her beloved brother is worth crying for, but also that she is worth crying with. Our grief matters. And the promise of joy does not cancel out our grief. Crying together is a part of what it means to be with each other. It is not weakness, it is power, it is real. Jesus joins Mary and Martha where they are in their anger, in their bitterness. If you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. That is real grief. There. That is trust in this power of God, along with the bitterness and anger that happens when we lose someone we love. And Jesus joins right in. Jesus is God with us, truly in these moments, in all of this, in good and bad, in life and death, in joy and in sorrow. He is with us in all of it. And the fact that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead while his face is still wet with tears also matters. It is maybe the part that I appreciate the most about this story. That Jesus can be weeping and defeat death at the same time. This is so real. Every Day, we come face to face with the reality of death while we try to proclaim resurrection. This is us every day. This is what we as followers of Christ do, and it is so hard. 
It is hard when we lose the people we love. It is hard when people we love lose people they love. And that is why I love All Saints Sunday. I'm going to break a little rule of preaching and talk about the day instead of the text for just a minute here. I want to talk about why All Saints Sunday is important. This day matters in the church. This is a day we make space for the reality of death. On All Saints, we say the names of those who have gone before us. We say their names out loud, and it is hard and sad, and I always cry. But this space on this day is so important. For this one day, just one day, we do not dismiss the power of death. We don't ignore it. We don't pretend it's not happening all the time and all around us on this Day, we say their names. We come face to face with death, with tears in our eyes and on our faces. We say their names. And that is something I noticed about this Lazarus text this year that I hadn't really noticed before. When Jesus comes to the grave where Lazarus has been buried, he stands up and says, Lazarus. Come out. Jesus speaks his name. And Lazarus comes out. So today we say the names of those who have died. Not because we have forgotten they have died. We have certainly not forgotten that they have died. But to remind us of this moment. The moment that Jesus defeated death the first time. That Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead before he himself was raised from the dead to show us that the defeat over death wasn't just for the Son of God, but for all of us. For those who have gone before and those who will go after and for all of us now. Both Pastor Chad and I have talked about this before. But it's important to remember Lazarus didn't live forever after this moment. I do like to imagine he became somewhat of a celebrity in his little town of Bethany, the one who was raised from the dead, like a biblical Harry Potter, the one who lived, right? But Lazarus dies again. And I also like to imagine he died differently that time having seen Jesus die and rise as well as dying and rising himself, knowing maybe better than the rest of us what that actually meant. Yes, Lazarus died again, but he lived and died with hope, knowing that death isn't the end, knowing that death does not win. And that is the promise in this text For us today, too. See, Jesus calls us by name. Out of the grave, right now. Out of the things that are killing us, out of the ways we hurt ourselves and others. And we are given new life. Even 
as we grieve. Even as we take time and remember. We mourn in hope. Which is an odd and unique thing that we do as people of the way. Today, we together acknowledge death. and We grieve together and we say the names of those who have died. And then together, we are called to new life. Preaching professor Caroline Lewis said, this story is a reminder that on both sides of the grave, Jesus is life for us. For those who have gone before and for those of us right now. So part of the space we make on this day as we celebrate and mourn both at the same time, part of the space we have today is this recognition of the communion of saints. That we are all a part of this holy sainthood of new life on both sides of the grave. So we join together on this day, in this place, with those who have gone before. We join together here, in this thin place, around this table. And when we come forward, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but this the setup is a half circle, just a half. And we come forward and we only make half of a circle and we join with the communion of saints with those on the other side of the circle. And together we complete the table of grace. So it was on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.